You're listening to ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. 85% of American adults gamble. How do you know when it has gotten out of control? And when is it an illness? Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt, your host, and with me today is the chair of the APA Committee on Addiction Treatment, Dr. Petros Livones. Dr. Livones, among his many professional duties, is the Chief of Addiction Psychiatry at St. Luke's and Roosevelt Hospitals in New York City. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me at this program, Leslie. It's wonderful to be here. So how do you define pathological gambling? Pathological gambling is uh, an impulse control disorder, uh, according to the DSM, and uh, the criteria for giving the diagnosis of pathological gambling really mirror the criteria for substance use uh, dependence, the the substance use disorders, and actually the severe form of uh, the uh, substance use disorders, which is, of course, substance dependence. There are several criteria in the DSM, but we can really organize them uh, along four dimensions. First of all, there is tolerance, uh, increased amount of money gambled in order to achieve the desired excitement from the gambling activity. Second one would be withdrawal. Uh, feeling irritable and restless after attempting to cut down or stop gambling altogether. The third one is an internal preoccupation and compulsive behavior when people actually, all they can think about is the gambling activity and they can really not stop themselves from going out there and, and gamble. And the fourth set of criteria has to do with external consequences, personal, familiar, occupational, financial, uh, or legal deterioration. Overall, the core of the definition of pathological gambling is loss of control, that you have lost control of your life over the gambling behavior. So very much is parallel to the substance use disorders. Yes, yes, it is. How common of a problem is this? It is common. We think about about 1% to 3% according to different studies that meet criteria for pathological gambling. Gambling is legal in 48 states. Uh, there's a huge uh, revenue, $72, billions, $72 billion a year. And uh, what I consider to be the most uh, disturbing statistic is uh, the fact that pathological gamblers pe- spend 25 hours per week on average doing the gambling activity, 25 hours per week on average. That's uh, that's enough to really ruin a person's life. Now, is there any data that uh, different cultures have different rates of gambling problems? The only consistent one has been the fact that where it's legal, we see greater rates of pathological uh, gambling. Now, this is, of course, uh, the classic chicken and the egg situation because gamblers may be attracted to areas where, there is, uh, where gambling is legal, and that may increase the, the rates. It's not necessarily that uh, uh, having it uh, legal would increase your risk of becoming a pathological gambler. What we do know is that the, the nature of the gambling activity does vary widely among different cultures. So in some cultures, we may have cockfighting as uh, the expression of uh, gambling. In another culture, uh, I live in the city of New York, so I know that very, very well. It could be the stock market. Well, now, is it more, it's pathological gambling more common now? At, you know, it seems that there's a casino everywhere you look, where growing up, I don't recall ever seeing them outside of Las Vegas or maybe Atlantic City. 
that is very true. And of course, there's the, the biggest casino of all, and that is the internet. Uh, I have a patient of mine here who uh, is uh, hooked on the internet sites that uh, allow you to gamble. And although uh, she's a very, very smart person and she knows that she has no control of uh, whether the, the odds are really as advertised on the Internet, she doesn't seem to be able to, to control the activity and she ends up losing a considerable uh, amount of money and time on the Internet uh, gambling. So other than money and time, which granted are very important, what other consequences do you see in patients that have this problem? It depends on the on the stages of the stage of uh, of gambling. Uh, we identify four different uh, stages in the trajectory of uh, somebody who suffers from pathological gambling. The first phase is usually a winning phase, uh, stimulated by initial wins. The person is exuberant, very uh, high. There are very little in terms of uh, consequences. The second phase is called the loss phase. And this is a phase where the patient tries to recover money by chasing losses, leading to a downward spiral. That's where we see the family relations deteriorating. That's where we see the vocational relationships uh, deteriorating. And the person is really start feeling uh, really depressed and, 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 and anxious. The third phase is called the desperation phase. And that's when the person may be doing really stupid things, including criminal activity, stealing, fraud, conning people in order to recover the money lost uh, in the gambling activity. And that's a very, very dangerous uh, period for a person with very significant legal and, uh, and social consequences. Then the fourth stage is called the hopelessness phase, and that is characterized by depressive symptoms and often suicidal ideation. That's when the person has stopped acting, has given up. Uh, we don't see any criminal activity anymore, but we see very significant psychopathology. We see uh, significant depression, sometimes leading to suicide. If you've just joined us, you're listening to ReachMD, XM233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunch, your host, and with me today is addiction expert and Betty Ford scholar, Dr. Petros Livonis. We are discussing pathological gambling. Dr. Livonis, are there any medical consequences to pathological gambling? Yes. uh, Hypertension, peptic ulcers, migraines are the most common medical uh, comorbid conditions. They can also be helpful in in terms of uh, the assessment of pathological gambling. Somebody who had not been suffering from any of these disorders and then starts uh, showing migraines and hypertension may be uh, a, a good time for a, a clinician to uh, do a test or um, a checklist to find out if the person may be also suffering from pathological gambling. So there are screening tools available to us? Yes, we do have uh, screening tools. The most uh, commonly used one is the South Oaks Gambling Screen, SOGS. Uh, it is um, a 20-item uh, self-report, and it takes about 10 to 20 minutes to complete. However, there is a, a, a much shorter one. It's called the Early Intervention Gambling Health Test, 8, which is an 8-item, eight 5-minute questionnaire. And uh, this is a, a really easy one to, to do in an office. Uh, it can be found on the Internet. It's in the public domain, and uh, it's quite uh, helpful. Well, interesting that they didn't call it seven, right? (laughs) 
when would you suggest somebody in general practice or general psychiatry practice, when do you even think about screening somebody for pathological gambling? I have to say, I don't do it routinely at all. Yeah, I I wouldn't do it routinely for everybody either. I know that uh, this is not exactly politically correct, what I'm saying, and my colleagues in the pathological gambling area would say uh, I would uh, do it for everybody. But if we were to do uh, a screening for absolutely everybody for all these disorders, then we wouldn't have time to to treat the patient. So uh, I would say if you do see some of these medical comorbid disorders, if you see some of the psychiatric comorbid disorders like uh, mood disorders, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, substance use disorder, or the personality disorders, the cluster B personality disorders in particular, like borderline personality disorder or uh, narcissistic personality disorder, antisocial personality disorder, histrionic personality disorder, any one of these disorders, then your index of suspicion uh, goes up for pathological gambling and uh, you may very, very well want to screen. Also, if you live in an area which is quite, uh, where pathological gambling is quite prevalent, like for example in Las Vegas, as we said before, then you may want to be doing the, uh, the screening more routinely. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Now, I've heard you say, Dr. Livones, that mice are smarter than men. <laughs> What do you mean by that? This is probably uh, one of the most difficult ones to to explain without uh, some kind of uh, visual help, but I will try to explain this. What what it is is that when we train mice to respond to pleasurable stimuli, let's say we have uh, 30 different doors and door number 26 is the one that has the reward behind it and, you know, after a while the the, the mice will be trained and they will know when they hit door number 26, they get all excited in terms of their dopamine level, in terms of their uh, reward pathways. But if they hit door number 25, they feel absolutely nothing. Or if they hit door number 27, they feel absolutely nothing because they know that it's only one in 30 and only door number 26 has the reward. Humans do not really respond the same way. If, let's say, you're playing the lottery, and uh, the lottery number that wins is number 26, and you have bet on door number 25, or on, on the, the number 25, you do get quite excited about it. You say, I almost got it. I was almost there. The same thing with, uh, with, with door number 27. So you're you train your, yourself to be excited for a whole range of numbers. So effectively, your, the odds, the way that your body metabolizes the odds, it's not like 1 in 30. It's more like 5 in 30 or 6 in 30. Any one of the numbers around the number 26 will give you some pleasure and reward. There's a whole distribution around the particular number. You see on TV that uh, uh, you say, I got three out of four numbers or I got five out of six numbers. And of course, that gives you very, very much the impetus to play again and gamble again. Well, a mouse would say, well, I didn't get it. I don't care if I got one out of five or I got four out of five. It's the same to me. I just didn't get it. Interesting. So, So does superstition come into play here? Oh, yes, that's a whole different kind of uh, problem. This is a superstitious beliefs. Uh, Superstitious beliefs go under a general category of uh, cognitive distortions. Cognitive distortions are things that um, make uh, somebody who has predisposition for gambling, uh, gambling even more. 
So people feel that there are such things as good luck objects like animal parts, rabbit this and rabbit that. Uh, there are particular routines that people do that feel that increase the chances of uh, winning in a particular game. Uh, athletes quite often uh, have a whole routine before a game that feel that it will increase the chance of, uh, of winning the game. And some of these behaviors and routines may play a positive role in a, in a kind of a psychological sense. If you believe enough that something will happen, you may increase the chance of happening. But from a cold statistical perspective, that's simply not true. Thank you so much. Sure. Thank you. I want to thank our guest, Dr. Petros Livones. We have been discussing pathological gambling. I am Dr. Leslie Lunt. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, please send your emails to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening. 